Welcome to the American Cinematographer podcast. My name is Jim Hemphill, and I'm a contributing writer at American Cinematographer magazine. My guest today is Russell Carpenter, ASC, a cinematographer known for his mastery of elaborately choreographed spectacle in action films like True Lies, Charlie's Angels, and The Negotiator. He won a richly deserved Academy Award for a little film you may have heard of called Titanic, and collaborated with that film's director, James Cameron, on the innovative theme park film T2-3D, Battle Across Time. Yet while Carpenter can photograph a chase scene or shootout with the best of them, he's also shown a real affinity for character-driven comedy in movies like The Farrelly Brothers' Shallow Hal and last year's hit romance, The Ugly Truth. Action, comedy, and romance play equally important roles in Carpenter's latest project, Killers. The film tells the story of Jen, played by Katherine Heigl, a young woman who is on vacation in France when she meets the man of her dreams, Spencer, played by Ashton Kutcher. It's love at first sight, and the two are married. They live an idyllic suburban life until suddenly Spencer's past life as a hitman, something he neglected to share with Jen, comes back to haunt him and the couple is pursued by a seemingly endless parade of assassins. The premise allows the filmmakers to take universal ideas about the secrets in every marriage and amplify them via outrageous circumstances to create a uniquely textured comic thriller. The film is equally unique on a technical level, given that it was photographed digitally with anamorphic lenses on the Aeroflex D21 camera, and that camera system is just one of the things I'll be asking Russell about today. Uh, before we get in those, into those technical aspects, I do want to ask you a little bit about the background of the project. I'm assuming that it mm -hmm. came to you via your relationship with Robert Luketic, who you've shot several films for. Is that right? Did he bring the movie to you? Uh, yes, Robert brought the movie to me, and yes, we've shot uh, several pictures together. Uh, I enjoy working with Robert uh, quite a lot in that uh, uh, he runs a, a very, uh, it's a wonderfully mellow set. Um, there's just, it's wonderful. There's no negativity, which I really, really uh, adore <laughs> about, about the working situation. And, and and uh, and with Robert, I've been doing a lot of romantic comedies, and that has allowed me to pursue also my, my second dream career, which is which is that of being a a, a fashion photographer <laughs> as well. I'm very old fashioned in the sense that I love to go to movies where icons look like icons, and and I've been working for the last several years really honing my skills and. In terms of how I, I like, well, specifically women, and and um, just enjoying that aspect of uh, of the work. Well, it's interesting that you say that because when I was watching the movie, one of the things that struck me was that the actors were lit almost like it was a studio film with all the resources from the '50s, like a Vis Division Hitchcock film or Douglas Sirk movie or something like that. The actors looked gorgeous, and I was wondering what kinds of uh, conversations you had with Luketic early on. Did you guys? Have any films you talked about or visual references or anything that you were trying to emulate? Well, of course we wanted to start the film off in the uh, realm of James Bond because it, the Spencer's life is a little bit of a send-up of the James Bond CIA character. And, and we very much wanted... Uh, a feel of the era 1970s James Bond 1980s uh, pictures. So there's a little bit of that thrown in, and this is the, uh, the the strange life, the very glamorous life that he trades out for, um, you know, a, a life of normalcy until all hell breaks loose later in the the film. So that was the tip of the hat there, and it was, it was consciously shot in a little bit of a retro action movie feel. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, something else that struck me about the film is that 
the tones, it's, you know, it's, it's this kind of hyperactive action film, but then there are also these, uh, you know, relationship issues that the two characters have to be dealing with the whole time. And yet it doesn't really feel like they're jarring shifts in tone. It's pretty cohesive. And I was wondering if that was something you guys talked about or thought about. Were you worried about it at all? Was there anything you did or thought about photographically to try to keep the tone unified? Because it, I was kind of surprised at how well the movie held those two things together where it worked as a romantic comedy and it worked as an action movie but it didn't feel like you were going back and forth between one kind of movie and another well that was definitely something that worried us and we and we we kept our eye on the ball on that quite a bit because nobody knew quite knew whether the film was going to work uh, as a comedy and an action film and how those two genres when they collided we we, we hoped they collided and integrated rather than collided and just felt like two completely different movies. And I, I think we were successful in that. The idea was to basically, it was kind of like putting a Rock Hudson and Doris Day movie into, into a, a, a thriller movie. And what we wanted were uh, that basically, because it's really kind of, in a, in a way, a marriage farce, but it would be punctuated at certain moments with very, very uh, jarring, violent action, and and which uh, usually the killers uh, come to an absurd end, either right. either gored on antlers or you know <laughs> impaled. Well, never mind. We won't get into that. But but that was the issue: was how you have something that that is feeling light and frothy, and then take an immediate left turn into a very, say, a very, very visceral fight scene that is a, a do-or-die uh, situation. And then somewhere in that, you punctuate it with a little bit of basically uh, domestic uh, levity. And, and that was the trick. Mm -hmm. And how early did you decide on uh, shooting Anamorphic? Was that right from the well, start? Well, we decided very... Uh, quickly that we would shoot anamorphic. I, I love the anamorphic frame, but I've usually been shooting uh, the 235 Super 35 format. Uh, Robert had shot a, his first film in anamorphic and really wanted to get back to that. But he loved also the working uh, uh, style of working with digital uh, capture. He very much enjoyed what we did on uh, the movie 21, which we shot with the Panavision Genesis system. So I started to look at what was out there that was capable at the time of doing both, supporting both digital capture and and also anamorphic lenses, and and we settled on the Airflex D twenty one, and I was really thrilled, especially uh, going through the final the digital intermediate a few weeks ago to to see what this camera was capable of delivering in terms of. An extremely film-like uh, uh, exposure and contrast scenario. And how did you decide on it initially over all the other options? That well, you, you at had? the time, there weren't that many other options. There were uh, the, the red uh, camera. Uh, we could put anamorphic lenses on. Of course, we could go film anamorphic and have half a huge variety of lenses. As it was shooting with a, the Airflex D twenty one. Um, we decided to go with the uh, uh, Hawk uh, anamorphics that are made by a, f a company now called Vantage, and we tested those and, and found that 
with the only proviso being that if you go too wide on those lenses, you do get some 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 bowing uh, lens distortion at the edges that one sort of has to work into the composition of the frame. But given that, we were very impressed with uh, how the Hawks uh, performed. And what's the learning curve like with this camera? I mean, is it is it close enough to Aries film cameras that it's, you know, a relatively simple adjustment? Or what was that? I mean... What was it? What was it like for you and your crew? Well, uh, I think for us, uh, and, and I want to be perfectly honest about the the good, the bad, and the ugly. The the good, and there's a lot of good in this system, is is that it, it uses an optical uh, viewfinder. Uh, it's very much like working with a film, uh, the Aeroflex film cameras, and uh, uh, that was terrific. It it was a very easy camera for the operator to work with. Uh, given that, though, uh, it's still a digital capture camera, and we did experience some hiccups, uh, not so much in terms of the performance of the camera or the performance of, say, the uh, the digital field recorder. It was the performance of how they, how they like or didn't like to communicate together. Now, there are a lot of those hiccups that have been worked out of the system now, and I think you'll see with the Alexa camera coming up, which is a very exciting uh, 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 camera. And uh, uh, as you know, that the revolutions can happen in a year in this business. So I think some of the issues that we had, we came up against that, that did cause us some downtime at the time have, been, have really been uh, looked at now. Well, what's the workflow like on the set with something like this, with this camera? Like, What kind of files are you actually recording, and what are you recording them to on mm-hmm. the set? Okay. Well, how it works is that the workflow is somewhat different in that with a film camera, you, uh, you put your magazines on the camera. Uh, the control of when that camera rolls uh, is mechanically done at the camera. And um, then after you are done with the film, the film is uh, uh, shipped off to the lab for processing. The workflow is different uh, in a digital uh, situation in that the digital uh, imaging technician is usually parked not that close to the set. And roles are uh, done by the digital imaging technician. And the only backup you have that you're rolling is that uh, the digital imaging technician says you're rolling, <laughs> so, <laughs> and you hope you are. And uh, uh, and then uh, the the image is recorded in our case in raw uh, format because I wanted to have as much information on our say digital negative as I could in order to uh, if I needed to adjust some balances later on down the line. Uh, that's proved to me to be a very good way of recording things. Uh, the imagery is recorded not onto tape in our case, but uh, into a digital field recorder. And then those magazines are backed up. And, and right now, I'm not sure whether right now, well, when we recorded, uh, there was about a, um, I believe, a five to one ratio in terms of if we recorded an hour, oh no, it wasn't that bad. I think it was like a three to one. We recorded an hour of uh, 
material, it would take three times uh, that long to get it backed up later and sent out. Uh, it wasn't a one-to-one ratio. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned the the digital intermediate process. And uh, so how much manipulation did you do with the image in post? Well, well first of all, uh, what we're able to do is also, uh, as we're recording, attach metadata to our our information. And that goes to the post facility, and they can get – as they set up the digital intermediate, they can uh, for grading, they can get very, very close just following the information that has been encoded uh, along with the the raw material. Uh, what we do in post, because there's there's a lot of information in there, um, what I did in in post, especially in terms of uh, what we did in in Europe, was what well, we knew the uh, blue of the Mediterranean Sea, we wanted to portray as a certain kind of blue, and weather didn't always per- permit that. Uh, well, the way we wanted our skin tones, the way we wanted the geography to present uh, wasn't quite there when we when we recorded, so we did some uh, work there. I also uh, do small things, not a lot in digital intermediate, but I do small things in terms of windows to force force or guide the viewer's attention to one portion of the frame. Uh, and uh, also in terms of the shots, in terms of the changes of the weather, uh, working with a very uh, gifted colorist at E-Film, uh, um, Natasha Leonette, she was able to pull the different shots together and and really bring the film very, very close in terms of overall consistency in a way that is not possible in the classic uh, chemical finish. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting back to the actual production, how does shooting a, a film like this digitally um, affect your lighting choices? I mean, is it, is, it different, is it different from when you're shooting on film? Do you have a different kind or size of lighting package? Well, in this case, with this, uh, this generation of the Aeroflex digital systems, with the D21, I found that my basic ASA was about a 200, which when you get into your night exteriors does affect your package a lot. But the coming generation with the Alexa and ASA of 800, that will fall much more into line with uh, what the uh, Kodak 5219 gives you. So, yes, our uh, nighttime exterior uh, packages on this particular production went up. But in terms of our daytime packages and our interior packages, uh, we were writing about the same as when I record on on film, and I didn't make any changes in terms of uh, my lighting uh, mm-hmm. at all. I lit the same way that I would light on film. And uh, from based on watching the film, um, I'm assuming you shot in quite a few international locations. I don't know where you actually shot, if you actually shot in Nice, which is where the opening takes place, but uh, what was the just 
just the logistics of uh, coordinating it. Like, where did you actually get your cameras from when you were shooting in Europe? And uh, where did you shoot the film? Okay, uh, the beginning of the film, the, the James Bondish opening, uh, was shot in Europe. We were lucky enough to spend a, a few weeks in Nice, France, and we also looked at filming in Italy. But that turned out to be more expensive than the production could bear at the time. So we we basically uh, coordinated the shoot so we could get everything within a uh, Oh, a, a thirty-mile radius of Nice, and um, the uh, uh, because we had a lot to do in a fairly short time, we actually had a uh, a very large uh, for for a digital production camera package. We at the time we had uh, four Airy D21s because we were running both the first unit and a second unit, and we also had uh, some film cameras for uh, some of the helicopter work and, and some of the work that was just going to be done out in small locations. And we also uh, uh, blended in uh, work shot on the Sony EX3 cameras, which I was amazed that it cut in very, very well with what we shot on the D21. And those cameras we were able to just put up at the last moment, and they're very light and very... Uh, easy to work with. Getting enough lenses was really a chore, and uh, it was a very uh, tough task. Uh, we were uh, uh, supported by CSC in Florida, and Ed Stam uh, did a remarkable job of getting all these lenses together, as did Eric Brown, my first uh, assistant focus puller. But we eventually wound up getting lenses from pretty, it seemed like every continent, <laughs> you do, just to support this one, one production. Where, where did you shoot the suburban material? In the movie? Uh, well, after shooting in Nice for several weeks, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, a, a tax incentive state, and we were able to shoot much of what we wanted and a few things that stood in for uh, Europe in Atlanta. Um, and in the suburban sequences, there are a lot of hand-to-hand uh, -hand fight scenes and combat scenes that are very elaborate and fast, and yet they're also uh, pretty easy to follow. There, there's a lot mm -hmm. the, the choreography, the way you shot it, is uh, is very clear. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the staging of the the fight scenes. Did you use? I'm assuming you used multiple cameras for those or yeah. The, the the fight scenes were very well thought out and coordinated by our our. Uh, uh, stunt coordinator uh, and second unit director Doug Coleman. Uh, these were worked out weeks ahead of time so that the actors, and especially Ashton, could train for each one because each fight had its own fight style. Right. Uh, once we saw basically rehearsals of the uh, uh, fights on tape, we would go to the locations, walk the locations, and look at where we could stage each piece of the action. And from there, we started to work out the choreography of our cameras. A lot of the fights were shot on the D21 handheld. Uh, uh, we would sometimes mix handheld shots up with long lens shots to try and keep the energy of these things up. We blended the Sony EX3 uh, work in there. And in some of the fights uh, and in some of the car driving sequences, where there was a lot of vibration, we shot with film. And I think it all blended together just just fine. The the idea and I, I think the uh, I think the studio when they first 
acquired the the project, they said, well, the, well, this is really it's it's a marriage farce, and yet when the first assistant director John Mallard and I started to break it down, and we said, yes, but it's got so much action in it, and it, and we knew that the action was going to take a very long time to to do compared to what everything else would take. So we had to uh, make the schedule accommodate those those fight sequences. Uh, it was not. Um, Again, it was just trying to determine, well, how visceral we could be, how far we could go, how absurd we could make the deaths in the, this thing go, and, and how does this play against the, the texture of the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, and the fact that, like you say, a lot of the deaths are absurd, and yet because of the premise of the movie, it's, it's grounded in its own kind of reality. And so when you watch the film, to the viewer's eye, uh, a lot of it, a lot of the chase scenes and things like that look as though they were done practically, whether or not that's actually the case. And I'm curious, when we're watching scenes like the car chases in the movie and stuff like that, how much of what we're watching was, did you, you know, capture live and how much was digitally created later? Uh, a lot of it was digitally created, uh, meaning that it was basically composite mm-hmm. uh, shot. Pretty much every close-up in the movie was shot green screen. Uh, we'd shot our background plates for the Sony EX3s uh, because we knew that that material was going to be thrown out of focus anyway. And it, it turned out to be a very cost-effective way of, of doing it. Um, and then toward the end of the schedule, we just uh, took two days to basically do all the car chases in two days. Uh, uh, Clay Penny, our, our mechanical effects director, brought in a... Uh, a very sophisticated gimbal rig, and we used also used a technique that that I learned on True Lies, which is uh, just just try and shoot your moving car stuff as though you have really no control over it. That your uh, so we would go handheld or we, with our cameras, or we would go on bungee rigs, and I would ask the uh, the operators to really mess up their operating as though they were being, you know, bumped along or, or getting swerved and jarred as, as you would in a car. And I think that that really helps take the, so the curse off of, oh, gee, that's a process shot. Right. So you didn't necessarily feel locked into certain compositions or, uh, Having you know, camera movements or things like that, based on knowing that you were going to have to add effects in post, uh, or you know, when you were shooting chasing. Well, or? we uh, we knew um, going into it, we designed the chase scenes. We knew what angles we'd have, and then basically we, from that, we designed our our background plates and, and stuff. And how much involvement do you have in post with the computer generated? stuff are you involved in the effects work at all or well uh i'd be a disaster at a uh, <laughs> at a graphics uh, station I, uh, so i'm not involved that way but i always do go in when i can and on this film i could to uh look at the sort of the progress of the comps as they came along and we had a, a gifted uh, visual effects supervisor mark risco who had us a really good idea uh, of what's real looking and and what's not and he had several ideas and and uh, was able to add a lot of texture to the shots 
And you mentioned, uh, you, you know, you referenced True Lies, and you also shot a lot earlier than that, even you shot a lot of action films like Perfect Weapon and uh, Hard Target and stuff like that. And I'm always curious with filmmakers who do action movies, how has your job changed since those days in this age of of digital effects and digital photography and digital intermediates? Has, has the job of being an action cinematographer changed considerably or do you still work it's probably a little safer uh-huh. <laughs> in terms of uh now uh uh i i mean it, it's usually it's the best when you can do something real for real in in terms of okay somebody's out there and they're wearing wires and they're climbing a cliff or something and you just take the wires out that's going to look the realest. But there, the, but there are a lot of situations where it just either doesn't make sense time-wise anymore in terms of the, the vast amount of time that's going to be invested in getting a little shot. And also there are safety considerations. And I, I think safety is a prime uh, consideration. But when, when you're doing something real safety-wise, then it is a time, you know, you're spending a lot of time to make everybody safe. So uh, visual effects have become so sophisticated now. There is a point when you just say, hey, it's going to be a lot better to do this digitally. And I think what it becomes uh, incumbent on uh, the director of photography to know is what can be done digitally, not only in terms of visual effects, but uh, I mean in terms of uh, uh, action sequences, but what's when it when it makes sense to take the time on the set to do something and when you know that that the 20 minutes it takes here on the set to do you can do in 15 seconds in a in a post production uh facility and and what the trade outs are right all right well that's that's great thanks so much for uh talking with me about the movie and uh hope it does well okay so do I. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Russell. okay bye <laughs>